0: If you head to a beautiful wooded spot on the Niagara Escarpment near Orangeville, you'll come to the headwaters of the Credit River. What starts as just a trickle becomes a river that stretches over 90 kilometers and empties into Lake Ontario. Starting from the headwaters, the river flows and brings life. If you come to this beautiful spot in Cambridge, you'll come to another headwaters. Heritage College and Seminary is a headwaters for the church in Ontario, across Canada, and around the world. Our mission at Heritage is to help Christians major in the Word of God so they can help churches make a world of difference. And by God's grace, that's happening. The graduates who are flowing out from Heritage are bringing life to churches and communities. Let me tell you about some of the stellar men and women who recently graduated from Heritage Seminary this past spring. There's Andrew Mello, the lead pastor at Calvary Gospel Church in Beamsville. There's Deborah Springer, who serves on the ministry staff at Hope Mississauga and heads up all their welcome ministries. There's Nathan Weber, who's the lead pastor at Verity Church in Waterloo, and John Calloran just called to be the lead pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Chatham. Each of these graduates and many more are being equipped by their time at Heritage for a lifetime of faithful service. John Stott put it well when he said, "'The key institution in the church is the seminary or theological college. In every country, the church is a reflection of its seminaries. All the church's future pastors and teachers pass through a seminary It is there that they are either made or marred, either equipped and inspired or ruined. I'm convinced that heritage is a healthy headwaters for the church. That's why I'm delighted to invite you to support the vital work that the school is doing. I'm standing on the spot where we plan to construct the new seminary building. This beautiful facility will be a home for the seminary, a hub for the churches, and a place of hope for the community. From this spot, Heritage will shape and send out pastors and missionaries and church ministry leaders. If you believe that Canada needs a school like Heritage, a school committed to the Word of God, committed to the local church, and committed to Christ's global mission, then I'd ask you to support us through your prayers and support us through your generous financial giving so that we can reach our capital campaign goal. Thank you for helping Heritage continue to be a healthy headwaters for the church in Canada and around the world.
1: During our 50th anniversary, we have been bringing in speakers who have a connection to us in a historical way. Dwayne Klein, who was here as our first speaker for our 50th anniversary celebrations, as the pastor of a church that we are partnered with in mission here in our city, James North. And then Steve Jones, the president of our fellowship, the, the denomination to which our church belongs. So it's a real joy to have Rick Reed here with us today, representing Heritage College. This is the school that, as you've just seen in the video, has produced so many pastors and missionaries who serve within our, fe- our fellowship. And so we're grateful to God for him. He, before he came to uh, Heritage College, he was the pastor of the Metropolitan Bible Church in Ottawa, served there for a number of years and saw significant growth in the Lord's work. Uh, he has really emphasized uh, expository preaching since the time he's come to Heritage College and it's wonderful to see the new preachers that are coming out of the school, as you saw also on the, vi- the video. So will you join me please and welcome my dear friend, Rick Reed. Thank
0: well, thank you, John, and uh, let me just uh, say a big welcome from all of us at Heritage College and Seminary to you here at West Highland. I was one of the ones who rejoiced with you over this uh, major milestone, 50 years of faithful ministry. And uh, we celebrate what God has done, the legacy you have, but we also celebrate what God is doing, the vitality that you have now. You know, I, I love your pastoral team. I love a number. You send us some really stellar students even again this year, and I'm grateful to you as a church. And I was thinking, I think one of the reasons that God has kept His hand on this fellowship, on this church family, one of the reasons for your vitality is your fidelity to the Word of God, your faithfulness to the Word of God. Your pastors in the past, your pastors in the present, starting with Pastor John and working through the whole staff, you've had pastors that have done what Titus 1.9 says they're to do, hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught. They're teaching what has been given to us in God's Word, and I rejoice in what's been the fruit of all of that. But you know, if a church is to be healthy and vital in the future, if that's going to be you going forward, you're going to need more than pastors who publicly proclaim the Word of God. You're going to need more than pastors who are committed to publicly proclaim it. You're going to need to be a people who are personally committed to the Word of God. I mean, it's wonderful to have pastors that do it, but you know a church is made up of all of us. And if West Highland is going to be that vibrant church for the next 50 years, it's going to be because people like you, people that call this their church home, are committed to God's Word. And I would say that in the world in which we live, that's more important now than ever. You and I live in a world that is marked by sharp controversy and conflicted opinions. The marketplace of idea is crowded and people are all pushing their agendas and their ideas. And that's why you and I need God's Word to guide us, to guard us. We are bombarded, we're literally bombarded with different and divergent opinions. And that's why we need to stay committed to the Word of God. That's why you and I need to understand the supreme value of the Word of God. Today I want to remind you of that. I believe you're a church that understands that, but I think this is one of those things when you come to a mile marker like 50 years, it's good to revisit those things that are most central to your life as a church. And one of the things that's most central is your commitment to the supreme value of God's Word. So today I want to remind you of that, and I want to do that by taking you to a rather obscure passage in the Old Testament. It's not really well known. But just in a few verses, this passage makes a compelling case for the supreme value of the Word of God. This passage shows you why you need it, personally why you need it, if you're to stay healthy in a sick and unhealthy world. The passage that I'm referencing is found in Jeremiah 23. So can I invite you to take a Bible and join me in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah if that's new to you, you kind of open your Bible to the middle, you'll hit Psalms, and then move a little bit to the right, you'll hit Proverbs, and then Isaiah, and then you'll see a big book of Jeremiah. We're in Jeremiah 23. Let me tell you what I'm praying and what I'm hoping happens this morning. I'm hoping that as we look at this passage, you will gain fresh motivation, fresh motivation to stay personally committed and personally engaged on a deeper level with the word of God. I know you're a people that love it, but I'm asking that God will do something in each of our hearts that we go, as we just sang, I love your word, I wanna go deeper into it. That's what I'm praying will happen today. But let's ask the Lord together for that. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for being part of the service and celebration here at West Highland for this incredible uh, milestone of 50 years of faithful ministry Lord, we celebrate that, but mostly we we express our gratitude to you for keeping your good hand on this church and keeping them close to your word. And I pray today as we open your word, you would remind us all again that this is the word we need. This is the book that we must hold tight to. And I ask that you would do a work in our hearts to drive us deeper to it so that it moves us closer to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you a bit of the backstory for Jeremiah 23 before I read you some verses in it. Uh, these, These words were penned at a very dark time in Israel's history. In fact, maybe just leading up to the darkest time in their history. The people's hearts had drifted from God and God was sending judgment. In fact, the evil superpower of their day, which was the Babylonians, had already swamped the land. They had come in, they had captured Jerusalem, they had installed a puppet king by the name of Zedekiah at this point. And so the people were frightened. They didn't know what would happen next. And in that that vacuum of fear and confusion, a number of prophets came forward to say, Well, let me tell you what God is doing. Let me tell you what we should know. And they began to give these prophecies. The problem was what they were saying didn't match one another. They were divergent. There were different opinions. So in the midst of the confusion, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, give the people my word. And we hear what the Lord tells Jeremiah to tell these confused people. Now we live in a confused time. We got different voices telling us this is right. This is the way to go. This is what God wants. And so the words that God spoke through Jeremiah are words we need to hear. Listen to them. I'll read a portion beginning in verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to the people, and they would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds." Am I a god at hand declares the Lord and not a god far away can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him declares the Lord do I not fill heaven and earth declares the Lord i have heard what the prophets say who prophecy lies in my name saying i have dreamed i have dreamed how long shall there be lies in the hearts of these prophets who prophecy lies, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Verse 28. "Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully what has straw in common with wheat declares the Lord is not my word like fire declares the Lord and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces do you get the gist of what's going on there in the midst of all the confusion some people spoke up and they said hey let me tell you what God thinks and they began to give words but God says they're not giving you the right words In fact verse 16 He says, they're just filling you with visions of their own minds. You see that in verse verse 16, halfway through? They speak visions of their own minds. Verse 17, God says, they're just blowing sunshine. They're giving you false hope. Verse, Verse 17 says, they continually say to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. Verse 21, the Lord says, I didn't send these guys. But they ran. I didn't speak to them, but they're saying they're speaking for me. Verse 25, he says, they go around speaking their own dreams. They say, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. So that's what's going on. But then the Lord gives Jeremiah a strong corrective, and it comes out in verse 28. In verse 28, the Lord says, listen, this is what I want. I want people to listen to my word above all other words. Do you see it in verse 28? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. Here it is. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. It's interesting, in the Hebrew text, that little phrase, let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. Do you see the word speak there? In the Hebrew, the, uh, the word there is actually the verbal form of the word for Word. So you could translate this, let him who has my word, word my word. You kind of get the idea of what he's emphasizing there, right? I want them to hear my word. And he even has Jeremiah write these words down. We find that out in chapter 36 through Baruch, his his helper, writes them all down so that you and I could still have the word of God. That's why we call the Bible the word of God. But God does more than just tell them to listen to his word. In verses 28 and 29, he tells them why they need to listen to his word. This is to me where it gets very fascinating. This is where we see the supreme value of the word of God. In verses 28 and verse 29, God gives them three reasons why his word is more valuable than anyone else's word. Why his word needs to be the word that we take into our lives and focus on with our minds and hearts. What I want to do this morning is take you through the back half of verse 28 and 29 and show you three reasons why you personally need to be more committed to the Word of God, why I need to be more committed to the Word of God. I want to show you three reasons why the Word of God is supremely valuable for you as a congregation at West Highland, Ah, but for you as a person, for you as an individual. Let me show you them to you one at a time. The first one comes out in the final part of verse 28. And in the end of verse 28, we find this. Here's the first value of the word of God. God's word is like grain. It will nourish you. First thing the Lord tells the people is my word is like grain. It's like wheat. It's like something that will nourish you. It will fill you. It will feed you. God's word is like grain. It will nourish you. You see that in verse 28. Look at it again. After the Lord says, let him who has my word speak my word faithfully, look what comes next. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Do you get the comparison that he's saying? He's saying all the other people out there, they're giving you straw, not wheat. They're giving you straw, not grain. He says, my word's like grain. Their word is like straw. All those false prophets, they were giving you straw. Now, ask any dairyman, and he'll tell you there's a big difference between feeding your cattle, your Holsteins, feeding them grain, or feeding them straw. Straw has no nutritional value, right? It's it's chaff. It's worthless. But grain, that will nourish. Spiritually speaking, God is saying, you know what? Everybody's ideas out there, they're like straw compared to my word. My word is like grain. It's high fiber. It will nourish you. It will feed you. It will fill you. There's nothing else like it. So why do you want to be committed to the Word of God? Because it's like grain. It will nourish you. Sometimes we forget this, but God says, never forget it. My Word is like grain. It will nourish you. Some years ago, my my middle boy, Michael, was a youth pastor up in Ottawa and uh, every Wednesday night, he'd have his high school kids there, and he was—he would work hard. He was teaching them through Romans. I remember at this time he was going through the book of Romans. So every week he would take a section of Romans. He'd study hard. He'd try to make it creative and innovative, but he wanted them to get Romans. So he's teaching through Romans. And one day he said he was driving in his car, and he had on a Christian radio station, and there was an interview with a guy who was like a consultant for youth pastors. And this guy was saying this. He was saying, listen, listen, your high school kids, they're going to forget the things you say in your lessons. They're just not going to remember them. But they will remember that you took them to Starbucks. They will remember you showed up at their soccer games. So my advice to you youth pastors out there is spend less time killing yourself on your lessons. They're going to forget them anyway. And more time investing relationally into the students' lives. So Michael comes to me and he goes, Dad. And he tells me what he heard. He goes, am I wasting my time getting ready on this book of Romans? They say they're going to forget them anyway. So I said to him, I said, Michael, let me ask you a question. How many of your mother's meals do you remember from growing up as a kid? And he thought for a second. He goes, well, I remember my birthday dinners because I always got to pick the menu. I go, that's right, you remember those. What else do you remember? And he said, uh... I remember Christmas dinners, those were awesome. Thanksgiving dinners, I remember those. And then he said, but I don't remember a lot of the other ones. I said, that's right, but Michael, if your mother had not fed you nutritious food day in, day out, week in, wake out, you would not have grown up to be a healthy young man. The same thing is true with God's Word. What you're doing in giving them God's Word week after week, yes, they're going to forget a lot of it, but you're going to be building nutrition into their lives and some of it will start to absorb in ways they don't even fully know yet, but it will help them start to grow up in their faith. So no, you are not wasting your time. Yes, take them out to Starbucks. Yes, show up at their games for sure, but don't pull back because there is nothing like the Word of God. It's like grain. It will nourish you. Haven't you found that to be true personally? Haven't you found that the Word of God nourishes your soul like nothing else? This last Friday, a couple days ago, I did what I always do when I wake up. I go into my office and I get a glass of water and I sit down and I start reading some scripture. And a couple days ago I started, it was early, and, and I would say that I had gone through a number of situations that I had to deal with that had depleted me some. I was tired. A little deflated so I picked up the Bible and I went to the next section where I was at and that day I was in Psalm 138 that was the next chapter and I read Psalm 138 in the privacy of my own little study and it reminded me again that God is the God who protects and preserves his people and it says the Lord will accomplish his purposes for me and I read that and I could feel the strength coming back in my soul it's like yeah that's true God is the one who preserves. God is the one who accomplishes his purpose. I I knew that, but I needed to hear it again. I needed to let the Spirit of God take the Word of God and make it alive in me again. You need that too. You need to hear daily. You say, Well, I've already read that before. Oh, yes, but it'll come new, won't it? It will speak to your life, it will nourish you. Nothing nourishes you like the Word of God. Nothing. That's why it's so supremely valued to the people of God. God's word is like grain. It will nourish you. But God's not done talking about his word. He gives Jeremiah a second thing to tell the people. And this one's going to challenge us a little bit more. If you go back to our passage, we move to verse 29. We've already seen that God's word is like grain. It will nourish you. But now in verse 29, catch this. God's word is like fire. It will refine you. God's Word is like a refiner's fire. It will burnish you. It will burn away the impurities. God's Word is like fire. It will refine you. It says that right in verse 29. Right after he says, my Word is like wheat, then he says, verse 29, is not my Word like fire, declares the Lord, like fire, You know what he's talking about there. He's talking about how fire purifies things. It burns out the impurities. A little bit earlier in the book, I think it's chapter 6, Jeremiah uses the imagery of a refiner's fire, how they would put a precious metal like silver into a fire and heat it up. And and the fire would burn away the dross. It would burn away all the impurities and leave what was precious. God is saying, my word's like that. It'll burn away your impurities and it will leave what's precious. Because, brothers and sisters, here's the reality. You've got impurities in your life. So do I. Yes, God is making us something precious, but we still have some dross. Some of it comes from our own flesh. Some of it comes from our culture. We pick up impurities living in this world and we need the Word of God to come into our life like a refiner's fire and burn away what's impure and leave what's precious. You need that. I need that. The Word of God can do that for you. It can do that for me. I saw this happen in real time. A few years back, my wife Linda and I traveled to East Africa. We were in the country of Tanzania. And we had been invited to meet with some Tanzanian brothers and sisters. They were pastors and pastors' wives in these different churches. And we had been invited to speak on the area of marriage. And as we thought about what we could do to help people that we had never met who were from another culture, we decided, you know, we don't want to just import some Western ideas about marriage and try to give it to them. So, let's do this. Let's just go through the Bible and look at key passages on marriage. So, we started in Genesis 2, and we talked about Genesis 2:24, where it says, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. We went over that, and we were talking about what that meant and this young man named Sammy stood up. He was a sharp young leader, sharp young pastor. And he stands up and he says, I have something to say. And he said this. This is fascinating to me. He says, in my culture, in our tribe, when a woman marries a man, she becomes the servant to the man's siblings. And when he said that, all the people just nodded because that's the way it works there. So ladies, you marry a guy, you are now the servant to your husband's siblings. And so they all shook their heads, yes. And he said, so the first time I brought my wife to my tribe, we stayed overnight in one of the houses and we got up, and the next morning we came and opened the door, and there on the doorstep is all the laundry that my sisters had brought so that my wife could do all their laundry. And all the people around the circle just nodded their heads like, yep, that's what you do. And Sammy said, I picked up the laundry and I went to my sisters and I said, if you do this again, I will burn your clothes. And when he said that, everyone just, their eyes popped open like, you can't do that. What do, and he, then he said this, because the Bible says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And then he said, dear sisters, you need to know she is my wife, she is not your servant. And if you want us to help with your laundry, we'll do that, but you need to come and ask me. And when he said that, the people in the circle went, he's right. (laughs) The Word of God was refining a cultural practice and a belief. It was happening right before our eyes. Now, let me ask you, do you think that same Word of God needs to help people not just in Tanzania, but in Canada? Do you think it's possible that people like you and me could also be having some cultural things that we've added that maybe the Word of God wants to come in and change? And you would say, of course that's true. And we need the Word of God to correct us, to change us, to refine us. Our culture brings us all kinds of things and sometimes we pick them up. We pick them up from our families of origin, we pick them up from the people around us, and we just nod our head as if that's right, but it's, sometimes it's wrong. Where is that going to be corrected? The Word of God. It's like a fire that refines us. See, our culture would say something like this, the money that you make at your job, it's your money. You get to decide what to do with it. Then you read the Bible, and the Bible says, all that we have belongs to God challenges that. It refines that. Our culture would say that impurity and lust, those are really not a big deal. You can watch whatever you want on Netflix. You can watch whatever you want at the movies. And yeah, it could be a little sleazy, but it's no big deal. The Bible would come to us and say, let there not even be a hint of impurity. And the Bible refines us. It challenges our culture. Our culture says to us, you get to choose your own identity you can be whoever you want to be but then we read the Bible and we says no God made us like we are and we find our identity in him and in his way and in Christ and the Bible refines us and changes how we think our culture says you need to live for the moment you need to live for the weekend we read the Bible and it says no you need to live for eternity you need to live now in light of then you need to live with a long look. And once again, the Bible corrects and refines us. Our culture says all faiths are equally valid. As long as people have faith, it's going to be fine. And the Bible comes and says, no, actually there's only one name under heaven give among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. See, if you don't read the Bible... What's happening is you will just pick up more and more of the accoutrements and impurities of a world around you, and you will go unrefined. But when you read the Bible, at times it comes to you like a refiner's fire, and it begins to burnish and burn away things that are wrong and change. There's nothing else like that. Why do you need the Word of God? Why do you need it as a congregation? Why do you need it personally? Because the Word of God is like grain, it will nourish you. Nothing else will feed you like it. The Word of God is like fire, it will refine you. But are you ready for the third one? This one's the hardest one of all. In verse 29 of chapter three, we're gonna find this. The Word of God is like a hammer. It will break you. Why do you need the Word of God? Why do I need the Word of God? The Word of God is like a hammer, it will break you. Look at verse 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord? Here it is. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. He says sometimes the word of God comes to us not like a bit of grain that nourishes us. Sometimes it comes like a hammer and it shatters our hard hearts. It's not what we want, but at times it's exactly what we need. Because there are times when our hearts get hard, rock hard. And we need the Word of God at that time to do the most merciful thing it can do, and that is to shatter us and to break us. That happened to Jeremiah's associate pastor, a guy named Baruch. He was the guy that wrote down all of Jeremiah's sermons, all of his prophecy. a guy named Baruch. He, Baruch loved the Lord, but there was a time, we read about it, when God's word came like a hammer to Baruch. Keep your place here and go with me to chapter 45 for a minute. Look, it's just the shortest chapter in the book, just five verses. I want you to see a case study of the word of God coming like a hammer to break someone. Jeremiah 45 says this, the word of the Lord, the word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now catch this, verse 2. "'Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'To you, O Baruch, you said, "'Woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. "'I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest.'" Thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built I'm breaking down, what I have planted I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord, but I will give you your life as a prize of war in all the places to which you may go. Here's what was going on Baruch was. Jeremiah's sidekick, he wrote down all the prophecies, and things got harder and harder for Jeremiah, which meant they got harder and harder for Baruch. Jehoiakim the king tried to arrest them to kill them, so he's, he's running for his life. And at some point, Baruch just gets worn down by it all, and he starts to complain. Verse 3, the Lord hears his complaint where he says, woe is me. And at some point, his heart starts to get hard. And you know what he wants most in life? He just wants, to, he just wants a great life. Like he's tired of all this stuff that he's living through. He just wants, he just wants life to be good. He wants, it to be, he wants a great life. And so the Lord comes to him in verse 5 and says, Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Now let me ask you, do you think that was embarrassing for Baruch to get that word? When Jeremiah came to him and said, Baruch, I love you, but I got to tell you something that the Lord has said for you. Here it is You're seeking great things for yourself, seek them not. So, was the Lord being mean to Baruch? Baruch had served him faithfully. No, the Lord was doing what Baruch needed most. He was cracking that hard heart and saying, Baruch, Baruch, you're seeking the wrong things. Your heart has gotten hard. And sometimes in those moments, the Word of God comes to us like a hammer. It shatters the hardness of our heart. Have you had that happen to you? I have. I know what that feels like. Where the Word of God has not just refined me, it has shattered me at times. Where I've come away thinking that is that's embarrassing to read, that is hard to hear, but oh how I need that. See, sometimes your heart's gonna get hard and you won't forgive somebody that God says you need to forgive. And it's getting harder and harder until God's word comes and it shatters the hardness of your heart, softens you so that you say, I've been forgiven so much, I will forgive. Sometimes your heart gets stubborn and you don't want to submit to the will of God in some area where you know he's talking to you. And then the word of God comes and it comes like a hammer. It breaks you in that area. And you surrender. When God does that, he doesn't break you to ruin you. He breaks you to restore you. By the way, that's what happened to Baruch. Baruch. We're not told in chapter 45 what Baruch said or how Baruch responded. But as you read the rest of the book of Jeremiah, you find that Baruch gets back in the saddle and rides along with Jeremiah and stays faithful to the end. The word of God broke him to rebuild him. And God's word does that to you. You see why you and I need the word of God? There's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like it. It's like grain that will nourish you. It's like fire that will refine you. And it's like a hammer that will break you. And you need all three. And I need all three. So what do you do with all this? How do you allow the word of God to be even more important in your life than it is today? Well, let me close by giving you a number of ways that you can engage more personally with the Bible. That it can be dearer to you. I'm going to give you six. I'll go through them really quick. Six ways. Maybe one of these you'll say, that's the one I need today. So let me give you six ways that the word of God can be more supreme in your life. Here's what you do. The first thing, it's pretty simple. Read it daily. Read it daily. You need daily bread, right? You need to eat every day. You need spiritual daily bread. So read it daily. When I was in high school, I was challenged. I was a high school kid, and I was at a conference, and the man said, I want you to make a promise to God that you'll read his Bible at least five minutes every day. And as a high school kid, I thought, I want to do that. And now over the last decades, that's what I do every day. Read it daily. You need it. You need to feed on it. There are Bible reading plans if you need it, or just start in a book and read. And when you finish, put your marker there and pick it up there the next day. Read it daily. That's the first one. So many of us know that, but we don't do that. So that's the first one. Second one. Hear it taught weekly. Hear it preached weekly. And I'm spelling weekly. W e e k l y, not W e a k l y. Right. And if you come here, you won't hear it preached weekly in the wrong way. You'll hear it preached strongly. You need to hear it. You don't only read it yourself, but you need to hear someone proclaim it. You need to have someone like my son Michael teach you Romans, and you may forget some of it, but it's going to nourish you. Hear it every week. Be faithful here. You guys are here on a Sunday morning. I commend you. Make that your rhythm. Make that your practice. So read it daily. Hear it weekly. Here's the third one. Memorize it strategically. Memorize it strategically. We we heard read today Psalm 119, 111. Thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So pick a few verses and memorize them. When we were first married, my wife went through a season that was filled with anxiety for her. She was worried. She had trouble sleeping at night. And I noticed what she did. She got a little three-by-card on on a, a Rolodex thing and she wrote out some verses on anxiety and fear. And at night, I would see her with the nightline on, just going over those verses and memorizing them. And it began, God used his word to strategically work in that area of her life and free her from that. What are the areas where you need God's word to help you? Pick a few and memorize them. There's a really cool little app that I use. I've used it for the last few years. It's called the Bible Memory App. If you want to gamify this, if you want a little help doing it, Look up the Bible, Bible BibleMemory.com, and you'll find a little app that will help you. So, memorize it strategically. Here's the third thing meditate on it regularly. Meditate on it. Meditate means to marinate. You just soak in it. So, once once you memorize a verse, then soak in it. You can't sleep really easy at night, you lay there for a while. Here's what you do you take a verse you memorize and you just soak in it. You get stuck in traffic. Turn off the fan 590 and turn on the verse that you've memorized and meditate in it. So meditate in it regularly. So that's fourth. Here's number five. Study it seriously. Study it. Some of you, you've known the Lord, you read it. How about going a little deeper? How about digging in deeper? You have equipped classes here at, at West Highland. The school that I lead, Heritage College and Seminary, we have classes you can audit online. You could hear some of the best teaching you'll ever get in a deep Bible learning, you can be part of that. I've got a table out there. I'll tell you more about it if you're interested, but study it deeply, and here's the last thing. Talk about it freely. Talk about it. Tell people what you're learning. Tell them what's, what God is saying to you. Let it be part of your conversation. By the way, if you do this, you'll eventually be talking to people about Jesus because the theme of the Bible, the centerpiece of the Bible is a person. It's Jesus, Jesus. Jeremiah knew that even. If you get to Jeremiah 31, he starts talking about a new covenant. And that new covenant, he says, there's going to come a day, Jeremiah writes this in Jeremiah 31, there will be a new covenant when God is going to change our hearts and he'll forgive our sins. Well, that was a precursor for Jesus because the night before Jesus died, he took bread. Do you remember this? And he said, this is my body. And then he took the wine and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's what Jeremiah had said. So when you talk about the Bible, you're going to end up talking about Jesus. And you're going to be able to tell people the good news that saved you and that could save anyone else. So talk about it freely. Invite people to step into what you're learning and invite them towards Christ. By the way, if you're here today, I would give you that invitation. If you don't know Jesus... Jeremiah spoke about this new covenant. You can be part of it, where your sins are forgiven, where you get a new heart. It comes as you put your faith in Christ, the one who would come to be our Savior. You can do that today. You can just call out to God from the quietness of your seat, and he'll hear you. You know, my hope for West Highland is that God will give you, if Jesus tarries, another 50 good years, and maybe beyond that, another 50 that you will stay faithful as a congregation and you will stay fruitful as a congregation. But if that's going to happen, it will be because the people who make up West Highland today and the pastors who lead West Highland today and tomorrow see the supreme value of the word of God. Let that start with you. Let that start with me. And let it be done for the glory of God. Let's pray. As we close, maybe there is one of those six ways. Read it daily. Hear it weekly. Memorize it strategically. Meditate on it regularly. Study it seriously. Study it deeply. And talk about it freely. Maybe one of those six ways the Lord has said to you today, that's the one you need to focus on. Why don't you just tell them that that's what you want to do? As God helps you, say, Lord, as you help me, I will engage you in your word more through this. And then, if you're here and you've never really come to know the new covenant, the new blessing of being forgiveness, why don't you just ask God, Lord, I need a new heart. I need a new start. If Jesus died to give me that, I want that. I want in. Why don't you make that prayer? Let's all just pray silently and then I'll close this and then Lee and the team will lead us with one final song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a word from you that can guide and guard our lives. Help us to be people who love your word as we sang earlier and who stick to the ancient paths, who stick to the truths, that are ever new, that change us. Do that, we pray, for Jesus' sake, and in whose name I pray, amen.
1: Are you grateful to God for what you've heard this morning? Amen. And there's a latter portion in the book of Jeremiah where he encourages the people to return to the ancient ways. That the new ways aren't doing it, it's the ancient ways. That's where the pathway is. That's where the straight and narrow is and so we return to God's ancient word which is contemporary because it speaks so powerfully to us today. You'll have an opportunity to meet Rick and and greet him. Rick will allow you to slip out to your table out in the foyer and uh, he'll be happy to meet you there. Uh, He has some information from Heritage College you you might want to pick up but please feel free to meet him and greet him there. As Rick was preaching this morning the verse that kept coming to my mind It was in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, where the Apostle Paul says farewell to the elders of the church at Ephesus, and these are the words he says. He says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Amen.